Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good good morning. (laughs) It's a great day. It is a great day. I haven't been here in a little while. I know. I missed the last one. I was on vacation. Hanging at the beach. Yeah. Yeah. But it was good. Family, you know. That's right. Always important. But we're here for the Women in Brewing podcast, and I'm Carrie, one of the founding members of the team. And I'm Erin, one of the founding members of Women in Brewing. And I'm Amanda. They just let me come on here, which is super nice. But I'm also in Women in Brewing. Oh, yes, she is. Yeah, I am. Good stuff. Good Always. stuff. And awesome. we have a special guest today. I do. An awesome special guest. Yes. yes, we do. We're very excited. Emily Cox, welcome. Woo. Thank Bye, you so Emily. much. I am so special and so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love it. And Emily is a prime example of what our goal is with Women in Brewing, to empower other women to use their voice and share their story to make sure yes. that we can help everyone see how amazing they are. Yes, and she's the most amazing. Before we do Spitfire, which is sponsored by <laughs> Simply Light, Dunkin' Donuts, Corbell, uh, <laughs> Champagne, some beer Ben found in the fridge because I forgot to bring it. Um, <laughs> I'd like to clear one thing up. Mm-hmm. This is Emily Cox, but in no relation mm-hmm. to Aaron Cox. That was yeah. a good point. Thank you, because... I'm sure that people would be honestly That's be true. confused. I, I feel like everyone that. at home was very confused until you cleared that up. <laughs> I was going to say, you. I think it was a very yeah <laughs> big big thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'd like to again. Spitfire is sponsored by all those things. Ooh, Emily, what? are you ready? Uh-oh. I don't think so. No one prepared me for like a you know a barrage of That's the point. questions. Hence, Spitfire. We'll start out with something easy. Favorite mm-hmm. color? Black. Mm, like everyone's soul. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, would you like to go to the moon or the ocean? I would like to go to the ocean on the moon. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I feel like on the far side where we don't know what exists, it's probably like over there. I was over Very here thinking, cool. you know something I, yeah. I'm not I sure I, I really know. know. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I don't like to decide between great things, but rather like mash them up into one. Why limit yourself? Ooh inspiring (laughs) uh where do you want to go on vacation that you haven't been i would love to go to um croatia actually never been there and looks really spectacular really cool architecture and you know a little little more off the beaten path awesome if you had a boat what would you name it Ooh. um hmm dirty money (laughs) okay all right like uh, do you have any pet peeves? What's your pet peeve? Mm. I really hate uh, when people insist that the word that they have spelled incorrectly is correctly spelled. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. Okay, awesome. do when not come down. to my classroom. But yeah. Yes, excellent. Don't double down on your typos. I mean, just like... <laughs> Except that there are multiple ways of spelling things and you've chosen the wrong one. <laughs> I like yeah, that. Yeah, she really shouldn't walk in your classroom. No, I, but I accept that. You I, do accept that you have spelled them wrong. Yes. Yeah. Mahoto. She wrote Mahoto. Mm-hmm. Instead of Mojito. Instead of Mojito. Mahoto. spelled July on my brother's no. uh, contract. And I was just like, how? How do you right. mis- How do you misspell that? I was like, did he accidentally write Julie? Because right. like that was his girl. What? How? <laughs> I need more information about this, this error. 
But random punctuation is a killer for me, too. Like, it mm-hmm. hurts me on a soul level when you just throw an apostrophe in for fun or, like, oh yeah, we uh, emphasize things with random quotation marks, like, in the mm. middle of a run-on sentence. You no. want to come into my classroom? Yeah, speaking my language. language. Like, I feel like, you know, I you're mean, my soulmate here. <laughs> um, what is your least favorite word? Moist. Um, <laughs> way to go, a popular ben. one. Good job, yes. Ben. Um, but I also hate irregardless because oh, it's, yes. not it's, it's not, not a, word. a word. It's not yeah. a word. And it, I know that it now has an entry in the dictionary. Oh, but that's just Does because it really? people, I mean, it's because society's collapsing. That's the only, <laughs> that's the only possible answer. <laughs> Furthermore, it means the same thing as, as regardless. regardless. And so this offends me on a very deep soul level. I, so, yeah. I love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I hate that word too. I yeah. cannot stand when people are like, irregardless. I'm like, you mean regardless? Because yes. it's the same. It's the same. Thing. same. And exactly now that the dictionary. But it is a word. It's in the dictionary. I'm like, you know what? There's lots of stuff in the dictionary that doesn't belong in the dictionary. Precisely. <sighs> this is now sponsored by Merriam Webster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's your pump up song or your walkout song if you were a baseball player? Ooh, um, probably, ooh, that's a tough one. It's going to be something by Sia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Without like, a doubt. Lady with the wig that doesn't show her face. Yeah, Sia? that one. Okay, okay. that I one. I got you. Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite beverage? Beer, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. A Belgian triple, ooh. a really dark dunkle. Mm. We should have brought the dunkle. Mm-hmm. Well, we should have brought the Dunko. We should have just brought a beer. <laughs> we lots of things today. Um, well, thank you, Emily. Again, today's Spitfire was sponsored by mm. Lots of Things and the Dictionary. <laughs> Enjoy. All delicious. All exactly. Delicious. All amazingness. Awesome. Well, Emily, um, we would like to hear a little bit about you today because um, you have some awesome things going on. <laughs> you wanna, as you as Aaron know. mentioned earlier, what's uh, that? All the things. All, all the, the things. things. All the things. things. All the things. Well, thanks so much for having me out. I feel like our uh, I feel like our worlds have collided in a beautiful fashion. Yes. As like a Venn diagram of awesome <laughs> ladiness. Yeah. Look, yeah. you just keep right on. Mm-hmm. Just speaking to my language arts teacher. <laughs> yes. yes, I love like, it. You know, I feel like we're connecting. There's connection. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. Are you awesome? Are you from here? Did you I'm grow not. Up here? I'm no. from. Uh, I'm from a town called Mullins, which okay. is um, right off of I-95. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically explain it uh, in this manner: I grew up in the shadow of the sombrero south of the border. <laughs> If you know the number oh one my God. in America. Pedro. Yes. Love a little Pedro. Are yes. you sure it's a hub of human trafficking now, which is <laughs> oh not something you to are right. about. No, but, but oh. please don't stop there. I'm You're really right. concerned for you. No, Pedro yeah. is not real. No, no one needs to see him. No. It's, it's, a, it's a tourist trap if you're driving for those of you who do not know yes it's a come down south this tourist yeah trap. it's crazy yeah surprised it still exists it should be honest probably so. shouldn't however the billboards do at least to you know remind you they how many you. miles you have to yeah, get exactly. to the border it's 89 20, 122 <laughs> yes 39.5 yeah. yeah well mullins is really small i mean i think at our at our population peak we probably had i don't know five thousand people living there so it's a tobacco town like founded on the 
found it on the backs of you know delicious smokable things, things. leaves <laughs> of all sorts i suppose not nice. sure but in September, it smelled really good because everything was like, they were drying it out. There were mm-hmm. auctions. It was all very exciting. We had the Golden Leaf Festival, oh. which was, uh, yeah, a festival devoted to all things tobacco. Oh, wow. And our high school mascot at Mullins High School is still to this day the fighting auctioneer. Wow. Oh, wow. So we really doubled down on the yeah. theme. Yeah. <laughs> so you really took that to heart. Yeah. Commitment. Awesome. Yeah. Try spelling that in a cheer. <laughs> Not that I ever did. I was far from the cheerleading team. But Those poor cheerleaders. They're like, what? What's an auctioneer? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, it was like an Indian chief. That's what it looked like really? to me. Because they were still... the first auctioneers. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mullins. So Mullins, small Mullins. town life then. Small huh? town life, surrounded by farms. Yeah. Yeah. We partied down at the river, only when I say we, I don't mean me, because my, my parents were not into that. Uh. <laughs> I'm the eldest of six children, so instead we were doing chores and, you know, mm-hmm. trying gotcha. to trying to stay out of my mother's way. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, two younger brothers and three younger sisters, and we're pretty split. There's a there's a large age difference actually. So I'm the eldest. My youngest sister is uh, was born when I was 16, and so my wow. dad is basically a hoarder of children. He just <laughs> he really wanted twins apparently. <laughs> what? But twins don't run in our family, so, so he just really kept trying. What the plan was there? That's just what he was telling y'all. He really defi- wanted twins. Yeah, defying yeah. science. Really. That's yeah. awesome. Oh my, oh my goodness. goodness. Mm. But the um, the most important family member at any given time was whomever was the baby. So of course, uh-huh. I don't personally remember being very prioritized. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. My parents are awesome. And they remind me that they love me a lot, even when I don't feel it. <laughs> well, and it's hard because I'm one of nine. So. Oh, yeah, you get it. You get it. No, uh, growing up was um, really amazing as far as, like, my family went because everyone's interested in different things. And my parents, uh, my dad was is a pharmacist, and my mom was our high school calculus teacher. And so... Wow. They're really smart and interesting people, but there wasn't anything to do in Mullins. So we basically just like camped out at the library and uh, acted out in community theater. So I suppose that that was <laughs> a good channeling. Uh, my parents were quick to tell us all that we weren't very good at sports. So they didn't have to <laughs> sit outside through all the uh, baseball t-ball BS. Yeah. So. Well, and I would imagine Heat. a town of 5,000, everybody knew everybody, too. Oh, so. there were no secrets, <laughs> exactly. believe me. So, there was no getting away with anything. Didn't matter what you did. No. Mom and dad were going to hear about it. It's true. <laughs> uh, yes. We were very well chaperoned by 4,999 other people. So. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough that you already have five siblings who are going to tattle on you because, yeah. you know, they don't want to be the one in trouble, so... But the truth is, there no. was nothing, there was no trouble to get into. I mean, they were, you laugh about things like cow tipping, but that was a real thing, thing. that yep. people yep. actually did. Yep. The other thing that was, um, you know, a really wonderful way to pass the time was cruising. So, you know, you would start at Hardee's on Main Street and you would drive all the way down to the post office 
And then you would turn around and do it all again <laughs> in reverse order over right. and over for hours. And people would drive for like 45 minutes to various small towns and cruise the main the street. And that's how you found your boyfriend. Oh. Because you couldn't date anyone in your own town. That would just be ridiculous. Because so, yeah. you're all related anyway. <laughs> Painfully true. I can't wait to ask Carmen Helmley about her cruising day. Carmen Helmley cruised a minute. I, I, I have that's every, awesome. I, I do believe she was allowed to cruise. I was not allowed to cruise. Oh. Um, but no, I, I'm teasing. On Sunday night, we were in church when mm-hmm. other kids were cruising. So, Mullen's First Baptist, we had... Many a good life lesson learned there. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then growing up, being the oldest, did you feel like you were maybe more responsible? Like, had more on you than your other siblings or no? I seriously doubt that they would agree to (laughs) anything like that. But, you know, it was was pretty, um, it was always, it was pretty fun because there was always something to get into with, uh, with someone else. I mean, it was like, I feel like I came from an unfair advantage, honestly, because I, had like I have like seven default people who mm-hmm. you know unconditionally love me so right. I have a really outsized sense of unwarranted self-confidence because I mean what what right. do I have to worry about I've got all these people who have my back so. right um so you know I remember like things like the four sisters would like line up in the bathroom and I would do the next one's hair and she would do the, the mm-hmm. little one's hair, like things like that, that are really sweet memories and lots of fun that we had together. Now I'm sure that I drove many of them crazy all the time, <laughs> bossing them around or whatever, but you know, right. So we, um, we were always really close and mm-hmm. when I went away to college, um, at Clemson, because I knew, that I wanted to pursue architecture. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it, it was really a culture shock to move from a town where there was nothing to do. And I had constant oversight to, you know, a, a college environment where I was missing my family and, uh, there was nobody looking over my shoulder. I was like, Oh, whoa, unmoored. What do, I, <laughs> what do we do now? Oh, there's wow. so many options. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, when you were younger, is that when you all were diagnosed with, or did that happen as when you were older? So my brothers and sisters and I have a like a chronic, um, a rare genetic blood disorder mm-hmm. called juvenile hemochromatosis, and so it's kind of like the opposite of anemia. So instead of not having enough iron in your blood, you have too much iron in your blood and so extreme cases can like set off metal detectors at the airport like it can really build up in your tissues to the point that it starts shutting your organs down okay and essentially uh that's what happened um and not to be too graphic i mean we are women (laughs) right and but you know because i had a period that didn't the iron didn't build up in my system as quickly as it did my younger brothers brothers. okay My brother Christian um, suffered from really serious um, heart and liver uh, damage and started having seizures when he was in his early 20s. Maybe maybe he was okay. 20, and it took about a year to get um, to get him to get him diagnosed, and then for the rest of us to get genetic testing. And as it turns out, four of us 
are uh, symptomatic and two are just carriers. Gotcha. I hope that they feel a lot of survivor's guilt, but I don't know that they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if that was something that was diagnosed younger or So you older, didn't so. know until he started having those problems? No, we didn't know when we were younger. And I think that my parents really do still <clears throat> suffer from a lot of... Um, from a lot of guilt over not knowing that they were both carriers of this really rare, uh, really rare condition. Now, the interesting thing is that hemochromatosis on its own isn't rare. And so part of what I, I do uh, when I, you know, when there is the opportunity is lobby to have the ferritin test, which is the measure of iron in your blood, mm-hmm. added to the regular CBC yeah. uh, panel. Um, just so that everyone gets that tested every time they get like their cholesterol, Mm -hmm. you know, check just at a regular doctor's visit because the, um, the, the best scientific guess is that there is a really high percentage of heart failure, um, that is, that has an underlying hemochromatosis undiagnosed in, um, people. So ultimately what I, what you know, what we want to win is the opportunity for everyone to just sort of default get their, mm-hmm. their iron level checked when they go to the doctor. And, you know, right. it's just one more thing that gets run at the same time so oh, yeah. that if iron's building up in your system, because it is much more common in adults versus right. the genetic juvenile form that we have, that that gets caught early. Right. Now, Emily, how old are you? I am a very lovely 43. Okay. Me too. It is such a great age. It's great. Just, I was just kind of putting it in perspective because you had mentioned that your parents might feel, but why would they know? Like if they, I mean, back when they were having kids, it wasn't common to look for any of that. All the litany of tests that parents now go through to make sure that. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. No, we just laugh about it. I mean, if it weren't this, it'd be something else. Right. I hit the genetic (laughs) jackpot in every other way. I mean, my parents are smart and funny and hardworking and awesome and very attractive. So there you go. And you got it all. So there you go. They built in these five best friends of, of mine for life. So I feel like I came out pretty, uh, pretty much ahead. I'm quite surprised that that's not on a regular CBC panel. Right. You know, uh, people who don't feel well will go and get their their blood checked for anemia if they feel tired. Right. But the thing about hemochromatosis is it's a silent, you know, it's known as a silent killer. So Mm -hmm. there are no, um, there are no symptoms. There's no way to guess that you have it until it's gotten to the point that you're experiencing organ failure. Because what, what happens you know, in technical terms is that your blood, the iron saturation in your blood builds up over time. And then when you, when your blood itself, when your cells can't hold any more iron, they start stashing it in your organ and your gland tissue. So for me, my endocrine system failed first. And uh, for my brother, it was, uh, you know, heart and liver uh, damage. So, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he was on, um, he had to get a pacemaker and there was talk of, you know, um, organ transplant, that sort of thing. But luckily we got diagnosed and treated in time and the treatment's not bad. You just give blood. I was going to say, can you you just just give blood and kind of. Basically what it does is removing the iron rich blood encourages your body to make new fresh, um, non-iron rich blood that brings the total iron yeah. in the system yeah. down yeah. at the time so yeah well, you just dilute the you dilute the mix basically okay 
Yeah. All right. This is fascinating. It is. I'm not sure that your listeners will feel that way. They but might. <laughs> oh, they will. Yeah. Sure. But hey, I mean, you know, if you're a hypochondriac, one thing to get tested. Something to think about. Go, yeah, and, go, go and see. And everyone, no matter their iron level, should be giving blood oh, yeah. every 56 days as allowed by the Red Cross. The Blood Connection is a really posh, mm-hmm. fancy place to donate that's not far from all of us here. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the thing that really gets me about having this condition is that the FDA has um, approved hemochromatosis sufferers blood as donated blood. It's iron rich and really mm-hmm. healthy for people. But the Red Cross does not accept it because it's bad PR because oh. we have, quote unquote, a disease. disease. Mm. So the unfortunate... Huh truth is that um hemochromatosis sufferers could alleviate all of you like normies from ever having to donate blood again (laughs) because we could meet the entirety of the blood donation needs for the nation but they won't accept us wow that's awful so we work on that too good yeah Yeah. because that's definitely right Mm -hmm. an easy way lots and lots and lots of shortages for blood donations oh yeah oh yeah chop chop There are some times when I get emails from the Red Cross and I'm like, I don't think you want me to have my blood. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've already mm-hmm. donated. What are we doing here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, when we'll take it again. Then, no, yep. Yes. Every 50 days mm-hmm. I get an email. So. Yep. But it's okay. So we're Clemson. Living the we're life because we're living the life because nobody's watching us anymore. Nobody's watching <laughs> you know, it's, Freedom. it's a strange feeling to be anonymous, though, once you in a, in a situation where you've been known by everyone mm-hmm. all your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people experience that at college where they're just like, wait a minute, who am I? <laughs> like, this right. is so it was disorienting. Um, and I had always been interested in, I'd always, you know, done well academically, but I was always interested in different forms of art and self expression. And, you know, when I was in high school, there's, you know, when you do well in school, the kind of the default is like, okay, well, you're either going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer. Like, and right. I was like, oh, I guess I could do that. <laughs> but I didn't really, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of alternate, you know, professions. And so I did know this one friend of the family who was an architect and he, his life seemed really glamorous. <laughs> he had um, a best friend that he lived with. Who I now understand was his partner. <laughs> I didn't know that that was a thing best then. Friend. It was his best friend. And they had was... never gotten married. To you know, they didn't yeah. have family responsibilities. They just took all these glamorous vacations. <laughs> they had this really gorgeous house and these fancy cars. Like everything about that life just seemed pretty great to me. Right. And. You know, truthfully, growing up in a house with six children, I just wanted a life where that was different. Like, that was not my mm-hmm. jam. That was not the plan for the future. Yep. So, um, I didn't understand that he had chosen an alternative lifestyle at a time that that was very difficult. But I did get that what he did was draw all day, which I thought sounded really great. And he was very well-respected um, and in demand. And so... Everything about that just seemed pretty compelling. And once I took one of those um, left brain, right brain tests in high school when they're trying to, like, encourage you to make decisions about your career and figure out where you're going to go to school, 
And, uh, you know, I got a, a perfect 50-50, like the same amount of questions for both sides of the brain. <laughs> and the very first thing that it suggested as a potential career was architect. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. That's, that's <laughs> what I need to nice. do. Not because that started with an A. Meaningful. That was a meaningful universe uh, response. So. Yeah. Um, so that's what I decided to pursue. And Clemson, of course, is the only school in the state yeah. that has an architecture program. And at the time, um, tuition was less expensive than it is now, <laughs> and scholarship opportunities were greater. Mm -hmm. So the truth is that I was able to really go to Clemson for free. Nice. Um, because I heard a rumor that you were the valedictorian. <clears throat> ah. uh, that's unconfirmed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I, uh, felt like, you know, there, there were other opportunities to go a little further away, but I just felt like with five younger brothers and sisters, the, the best decision was to, um, was to do something for free <laughs> and to, I am close to my family. My youngest sister, China was only two when I left for wow. college and it was tough to leave a, a, a really baby. precious yeah. baby. Yeah at home um she was in of course exceptional hands my brother sterling was obsessed with her from the very first day of her life oh, and he um he basically took in oxygen and breathed it back into her <laughs> all day every day what was their age difference um i, would, I think that they're like eight years apart oh, wow. right around eight years apart um but i um opted for clemson Cried all the way up there. <laughs> cried for the first semester. <laughs> you know, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah, right. I, you know, yeah. when I got to Clemson, I had never sent or received an email. Didn't have yep. a computer. Never had a computer. I didn't have a car. And so it was just, it felt very far away. And mm -hmm. that that was a good thing. Um, and I had an amazing time I was in the honors college there and it was a co-ed dorm which was new back then Ooh. that was not a thing and so there were boys like right next door oh. in the same building man they're really testing you it was it's real intense so we played in their underwear oh, I knew that they were like right there yeah. just one stud wall between me and them so, <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah Clemson was an awesome um, experience in a lot of ways, and I met some lifelong friends there and, like, jumped right into the cult of architecture from day one. So I think my college experience is probably different than a lot of people's, like, mm -hmm. We were obsessively, uh, well, we were really brainwashed into believing <laughs> you had to be in studio 24-7 and, you know, wearing a black turtleneck and heavy rim glasses. <laughs> oh, and, my God. Okay, Steve Jobs. Uh, yeah, oh it was goodness. a full-on Steve Jobs <laughs> obsessive situation, you know, listening to uh, punk new wave. It was just nice. like, and, yeah, it was a scene. So, <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. so yeah. you got through architecture. I, it was, I mean, it was, it was not a not a super straightforward path. You know, the thing about architecture school is it's tough to get in, and then once you get in, they really want to weed you out. Uh -huh. So there wasn't a lot of support for um, there wasn't a lot of support for women in the program, and we were accepted at lower rates than uh, male students. And then um, as as we progressed through the program. 
And once I graduated from Clemson, I went back for my master's again economically. It just made a lot of sense. At Clemson? At Clemson. I knew that I wanted to be in South Carolina to, I wanted long term to be in South Carolina to be close to my family. Ultimately, I I had a sense that, that Charleston was the right fit for me, but um, the further along in the program you got, <laughs> the fewer women there were and the more challenging it was I'm to, sure. uh, you know, to meet all the expectations of the program. There was not a lot of support in the, in the program or in, in architecture as, as a career then. So, okay. How yeah. were the other male students as far as support? Did you feel like there was a kind of like a separation like they didn't want you to be there either or no I, I didn't ever feel that we weren't welcome I just felt that the way that the workload was structured was increasingly it, it becomes increasingly difficult to have any type of reasonable balance and I think that women you know women in the program read the room and recognized that as a career that was probably going to continue and oh, that they okay. weren't going to be able to have the quality of life that they wanted so would be my long guess term. long term. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't feel that that the men in the program weren't welcoming or supportive of our, of female, you know, um, classmates. I just felt that there were some um, there were some sort of intrinsic differences in how the workload, uh, how the expectations were structured, and what the workload demanded that meant that you know a lot of people got weeded out of the program along along and especially when we when i came back from my master's and was a little older um i was one of very few students who wasn't married so there were few women most of the people in the program were men and most of them were married and so the reality is that you know there they had a partner at home who was helping them with laundry and mm-hmm. cooking their meals, making them lunches, and all that is awesome. And I was just jealous that I didn't have that <laughs> <too>. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I wish right. I could have that also. So there were, um, you know, there, there are those, and then there are just systemic intrinsic biases that mm-hmm. um, become evident through the course of the course of those experiences that, um, you know, it just makes it a tiny touch harder. Right. So, but I saw my, my friends, uh, you know, my minority friends experience that also in different ways that I'm sure I can't fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a lot of opportunity for um, improvement in that. Okay. And I hope that we're affecting some change um, yeah. in the course of being professionals in the industry. So you did your master's right after undergrad? Like you went straight in or did you take a little break and go see the world, do something? Well, in my undergrad, um, I was able to study for a year in Italy. Amazing. So wow. That was okay. phenomenal. I was only supposed to be there a semester, but then I told them I wasn't coming back. So <laughs> <laughs> they let you me said, stay hmm, another. South Carolina, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> 30 pounds of gelato later. I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not real motivated to return. Awesome. I mean, so, how I old see- were you? 1920 oh, wow. 20 yeah i was 20 because i turned 21 um and had my first beer in um genoa italy bought nice. by my friend tom sweeney nice. and it was a guinness and you never turned back. never turned back no. never turned <laughs> had back. you ever been out of the country before like oh, did you no, ever like no. i mean you know i know south carolina i had left <laughs> south carolina a couple of times right i had a really glamorous aunt 
Aunt Martha, who's <laughs> really beautiful and fascinating and exciting. And she and her husband took me to Washington, D.C. Nice. Yeah. My dad took me to New York City to okay. see a Broadway play. So, Ooh. yeah, we had we had done a small amount of travel, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't go anywhere much with six children. Right, so. right. That's <laughs> why I was asking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, we went out to, to eat much travel. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. No. Yeah. yeah. You don't go out to eat or no, travel no, or do no, anything. No, no. Picked up pizza. Yeah. Uh, on family night, right? Um, <laughs> McDonald's drive-through, yeah. kids, kids eat home. free yes. night, man. You kids know those free. nights. Yep. My mom's a really good cook, so we uh, eating yeah. out wasn't wasn't our thing. Mm-hmm. But um, we did get to go to Disney when Ooh. I was sixteen, nice. um, okay. and that was pretty great. But no, I um, you know I had spent my childhood like reading about everything mm-hmm. all the time at the Mullins Public Library with Mrs. <laughs> Gasquey, my favorite librarian. <laughs> she didn't put a limit on how many books I could check out. She never charged me a late fee. And <laughs> she allowed me to check out the Red Dot books, which you were Ooh. supposed to be 13 and up to read those. Oh, wow. Yeah. So oh, I had read like about a lot of things. <laughs> it was know. real scandalous. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't tell Reverend McCormick. <laughs> so I'm sure Italy kind of had its appeal architecture-wise. And- Absolutely. And um, just being able to see other cultures and um, have an opportunity to, like, really immerse yourself in another way of living. Like, it just kind of blew my mind that every morning these Italian ladies would get up in their, like, four-inch heels and, like, totter over the cobblestones to the bakery like they bought fresh bread every day then they went across the street to the cheese shop and they bought fresh cheese and then they went across the street to the fruit cellar and they bought it was just like a whole different thing i mean and they were decked out they weren't they were decked sounds like i need to move to italy right like it they had this like whole capsule wardrobe thing that you see on tiktok all the time now Mm -hmm. like those italian ladies like they had that on lock like they owned maybe 17 garments of clothing but they were all armani and prada and Mm -hmm. you know they cared about the the amount of time energy and attention that goes into all things design is super immersive in that culture Mm -hmm. like there there's nothing that's a throwaway because so such a high percentage of their um of their population is educated in design like that's what they do and so um, you know, every single aspect of anything that you touch is really thoughtful there and um, nothing is meant to, you know, be thrown away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a culture that's about permanence in awesome. a way that I had never experienced. Mm-hmm. And so that to me felt so different and so fascinating and I was pretty pumped about the whole situation. That's yeah. awesome. It was a yeah. dude named Pablo. He was real cute. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you speak Italian? Did you have to learn Italian? I had did to you? learn a little Italian while I was there. But truthfully, everybody speaks English. You know, that's, oh, okay. you're so spoiled. You know, that's the obnoxious thing. It's like they take one look at you and they're like, ah, yeah. oh, bless, your, yeah. bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> Isn't it so adorable that you're trying? <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> please stop killing our language. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if you could hold off on the butchery, please. <laughs> but they never they never mentioned anything. Like, no one was charmed by my accent, which made me really disappointed. I was like, where can I go in the world that people think that the way I speak is fabulous? <laughs> Everyone right. just wants me to change it. So. <laughs> uh, uh, Meanwhile, you're fascinated by all these Italian accents, like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, everything you say Pablo. is really intriguing. Yes. Yeah. yes. 
Uh, football. We care about that deeply. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Did you live with a family while you were over there? Clemson has a villa um, in Genoa. So they oh. have. Um, <laughs> what? They, yeah. Patrick Cox is going to need to go to Clemson. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they have um, a whole setup. So. You get to, um, it's kind of like the real world, only in, in I love it. Yes. I'm in. I'm going back to get a third master's degree. I'm going to get my it. doctorate at Clemson. You need in it. In the villa. In You're not summer. 18. We discussed this already. For those of you <laughs> listening, Erin Co- Cox almost just spit her beer everywhere. Yes. <laughs> the real world. The real world. The real world. Italy. Yeah, she's speaking our language. I'm People telling you. Stop being polite. I started, started being real. real. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. There were a lot of... Um, there were a lot of moments where people got busted doing inappropriate things in inappropriate places. Nice. So that like, sounds so familiar. I'm the just, kitchen yeah. island, God. like the marble, the where kitchen we would, island. Yeah, what? where we would like roll out the homemade pasta every day. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> that's a porous surface too. By the way, like if you think you can get it clean, you cannot. You no. Oh. There yeah. we have it. Lots oh. of scandal. Lots of scandal. How Lots fun. Scandal. It was awesome. I just I was bet. like, yeah, I could come home, but no, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> I think I I'll stay think for so. another semester. Yeah, I've got right. a lot to learn. <laughs> right. Pablo still has some things to teach me. Right. Yeah. yeah, Man, Pablo. Uh-huh. Pour one out for Pablo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was, it was a really amazing opportunity. We traveled all over Europe, and like I did my exit project on a comparison between a Barcelona architect and Le Corbusier and just like oh, wow. got to check out each of their works in person. And um, it was just an irreplaceable experience, yeah. especially at such a, you know, such an impressionable, impressionable age. Yeah. 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 So when I did that, um, while I was doing that, um, my brother started getting, you know, getting sick. Mm-hmm. And so when I came home um, to wrap up my final year at Clemson, um, that's when he was going through a lot of testing to figure out what was going on with him. And so, um, I actually had to take some time off between undergrad okay. and grad mm-hmm. school to get treatment for hemochromatosis and all the fun that comes along with that. <laughs> Good times. Uh, and then, um, so I had to take a, take a year between, figure out what I was going to do. And, um, it made the most sense to come go back home and for all of us to kind of go through our treatments together and so in order to uh in order to make that time count for something I took a job as a critical needs teacher um for my own high school oh wow for studio art and AP art history oh wow and so I had a little bit of experience in the classroom and I was terrible, <laughs> and I learned a great deal of respect for everyone who tolerated me as a student throughout <laughs> the entirety of my academic career. Um, and then, although I wasn't quite ready to um, to go back to grad school quite so quickly, I really wanted to get more professional experience um, in an architecture firm before I did my master's. Mm-hmm. But truthfully, at the time, we did not have the... Um, we didn't have the health insurance marketplace and health insurance was tied to either your job or right. your parents insurance and the clock was really ticking on me getting coverage and because pre-existing conditions weren't covered then course, right. i was really we were all really terrified about what would happen um 
you know, medically and financially if any of us were to lose insurance. And so I went back for my master's sooner than I was really okay. ready to. Um, and then I honestly, I struggled through that program because I was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, mid twenties, so mid twenties. And it took a little longer than I would have liked. And I didn't perform as well as I was used to performing. Mm-hmm. Everything was a lot harder. I really struggled with energy and with memory and, um, architecture is really, com- well, at the time school was really competitive and there was a lot of sort of brainwashing pressure applied to the cult of architecture. You know, you really were, were expected to commit a hundred percent of your time, attention, uh. energy into this way of life. Like it was never, there was never a mentality that this was just a, you know, a career and you could be good at it and varying degrees of, it, it was really about making all your architecture forefathers proud and, uh, you know, yeah. bigger, That's better, serious. faster, more. It just was, it was, and as a you're just a kid. I mean, right. there's no way, you don't have enough life experience to weigh in and be like, oh, that's bullshit. Instead, <laughs> you're just like, oh, holy shit, I've got to do hard. I've got to work harder. I've got to do better. I've got to do more. Better. I'm yeah. letting everyone down and never going to be the next Zaha Hadid. <laughs> well, you know, nobody's like, hey, you know it's fine it's to be okay. a pretty good architect. <laughs> like you, let's just focus on not building things that are going to collapse and kill right. people. How about that? And in the, sorry, in the architecture field, do you need a master's or is it like, all right, you're not, you're not anything if you don't Correct. have that. If you don't finish it. And there are a couple of programs that do it a little differently, but the truth is that the requirements for being an architect are pretty rigorous and very rigid. There aren't a lot of paths. So, you need, you typically need an undergrad, which is four years, and a master's, which is either two or three years. Now, there are some ways to spend more time and kind of uh, get like a post-baccalaureate degree or combine the two into a five-year, what they call a professional mm-hmm. degree. But it's difficult to get into architecture school in the first place. And if you come from a different background, it can be really, really challenging. If you didn't know the very first day of school before, you know, if you weren't prepared in high right. school to work towards that, it, it is challenging to get into that track. Um, but once you're done with that, those um, academic requirements, then you have to pass, um, you have to do an internship. And I should say that, like, you come out of architecture school knowing a whole lot of really wonderful, completely useless, uh, useless information about the f- fine storied history of nice. all things architecture Sounds and like how edu- great. I feel like that's a lot like, like education. Yeah, yeah. How great a lot of old yeah. white dudes are. Mm-hmm. You come um, out of, yeah, yeah, yeah. with but, an education mm-hmm. degree and not mm-hmm. a lot of practical lot knowledge. Of exactly. Yeah. You, you learn a lot about why architecture is great and why everyone should think you're awesome. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then if you're lucky enough to get a job, which everyone who actually works in the field understands that new graduates are a huge drain on a firm's resources because they don't know shit about shit. Like you come out of architecture school real fired up about how great you're going to be. Then you get into an office and you can't even run the blueprint machine, you know, like, of course we don't do that anymore, but, um, it is very demoralizing and quite an embarrassment to be like, wait a minute, I bought into this and spent seven years, you know, really trying hard to excel in all these ways and not only am I not valuable to my to an employer, I am a drain on an employer's right. resources. And I found that incredibly depressing. Like I was like, oh wait, I'm not 
I thought I was excellent and I'm awful. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So how did you help yourself mentally with that? Because I mean, that sounds like a huge mental drain. It was really bad because yeah. I had gone from being, you know, frankly, a big fish in a small pond in uh, my, going from my hometown to college to like learning how to compete with other people or uh, measure myself differently in college and do perfectly well. I mean, there were, there were ways that I was disappointed in my performance, surely. But um, then the sort of uh, getting, getting the rug kind of pulled out from under me professionally was very challenging, especially since we didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a clear treatment plan for our health condition yet at the time I was going into the profession and I was really, really terrified of losing my job because that meant I would lose my health insurance. And so I really struggled with anxiety and performance pressure then. Mm -hmm. And I was also having a lot of trouble with um, short-term memory. So it, it was very difficult to learn all the technological um, things that I needed to know. You know, at the time, I'm sure it's very different now, but architecture school did not teach us. I, I, I was... I was of the age that we were transitioning as a mm -hmm. field from hand drafting to AutoCAD or, okay, you know, right. computer-based mm -hmm. drafting. Yeah. And like I said, you know, when I was 18 and I got, or 17 and got to Clemson, I had never sent or received an email. Mm -hmm. Like that was not, computers were right. not pervasive at the time, didn't have a cell phone. Like those, so there was a lot to learn and I felt ill-prepared in a lot of ways to learn all that at that moment. And so I focused on trying to add value for my employers um, in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so what I knew I was really good at was interpersonal communication. And so I made it my business to be exceptional at listening carefully to our clients, client service, uh, note taking, um, what we call redlining, which is looking at a drawing and seeing where the conflicts are going to be and what needs to be clarified. So there were ways that I was able to strengthen certain, um, certain elements of my performance to do what I hoped would kind of overshadow the areas that I was not right. as skilled in. And what that ultimately led me to was the sort of niche career that I have today. And mm -hmm. so when I was able to recognize that, it was more valuable for me to double down on things I was naturally good at right. rather than sinking a lot of lost cost into attempting to remediate the things that I wasn't very good at. I could have remediated, I could have put my energy towards remediating the things that I was not very skilled at and I could have been a perfectly reasonable, mediocre, regular architect. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I found that to be unrewarding and, frankly, depressing. And so by building on what I was good at, um, I was able to niche down into a pretty specialized subset that made me more valuable to my employers at the time. Um, so during the recession, 2008, mm -hmm. 2009, I was the last person standing at my, the last employee standing at my firm. Oh, wow. Because... Um, you know, I, I had this special set of skills mm -hmm. that made me, um, made me the preferred, uh, contact for a number of our clients. Right. And so I was, you know, they considered me integral to their project 
whether or not I was delivering on the sort of like practical day in day out stuff I was the one who had the finger on the pulse of how they felt about their job and so I w- that was an important relationship for mm-hmm. our clients and so that um that helped me understand where the gaps were in the architecture architectural services that most typical firms provide which I really felt was about you know client support client relationship and client service um let me go so. back to you said you were feeling some ang- a lot of anxiety right. at that time yeah is that hindsight or did you were you fully aware that that's because we talk a lot about how mm-hmm. important mental health is and you know that we need to deal with this stigma yeah right. you know I was aware I didn't understand why um I didn't understand that for me there was a physiological component to that um, in addition to, of course, the typical psychological aspects of it. And I, I just knew that I wasn't performing as well as other people that I felt were my, you know, were on par with me mm-hmm. and I didn't understand why. And mm-hmm. so, you know, while I was in grad school, I was a little bit older than some of the kids who had come straight through. And it took almost three semesters for me to realize that the reason that they were able to out, one of the reasons they were able to outwork me by staying up most of the night, every night, night after night, was something called Adderall. (laughs) I didn't know that that was something that existed. And it had become unbelievably pervasive incredibly quickly. And, I mean, some of them were just younger. Some of them, I'm sure, were just better than me or more devoted than me or just didn't need as much sleep as I did. But a lot of them were on Adderall. Right. As you said, they also had somebody that was taking care of of everything else for them. Many of them had someone who was helping them with basic needs. And that's awesome. You know, I I was jealous, frankly. Right. (laughs) But, I mean, you were doing it on your own. I was trying to do it on my own, and I just wasn't able to do a good job Mm -hmm. at everything. And, yeah, I mean, I... I was exhausted. I emotionally ate. I gained a ton of weight and felt bad about that. And, you know, I mean, there was just a lot happening at once. Um, and so as my career progressed, uh, it was difficult to maintain a strong sense of self-confidence in the face of, you know, what I felt was um, subpar performance in a lot of ways. That I, And I was aware of that then. And I sought mental health help. I mean, my parents were very supportive. Um, and so I was just like, hey, uh, this is something I've struggled with. Uh, it's time to get some help. And so, you know. That's th- amazing yeah. that you acknowledge yeah. that. Good because like we've said, it's there's such a stigma of, I need help with this. I, I need yeah. somebody to talk to. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly. what you do. I was just like, um, this isn't right. Hold, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> backtrack (laughs) yeah so I was you know I was I was able to recognize it I think you know the brain is like the last frontier your Mm -hmm. brain can't always see the way to help itself right so Mm -hmm. I just felt like some outside uh an outside opinion was helpful and then at the at the time I was also able to kind of recognize that this obsessive you know um mentality around the um the field of architecture really that I had that I had been sort of um, indoctrinated, indoctrinated into. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'd hate to say brainwashed, but you know, th- th- this was actually not how it worked in the real world. And then I felt really foolish that I had, um, you know, bought into that. And how old so, were you though? I'm 24, 25. Okay, yeah, so I mean, it, yeah, just still not life, very. Yeah, yeah. learning, learning in, life, yeah. in life. And so. Um, 
yeah, so I struggled with anxiety, definitely. And I, and I struggled with uh, perform, performance pressure. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that everyone can relate to. Mm-hmm. When you want to be really good at what you do and, you know, what you do is challenging. Because, I mean, let's face it, who does anything in life that isn't challenging? Like, everyone right. feels that what they really want to do is tough. If not, everybody would do it, right? As it should be. As it should be. Um, Sometimes, you know, you get tired of learning and growing. Right. Have have I not learned this lesson yet? I feel like, but I remember very clearly, like, the, um, not the last job I ever started, but the second to last job for an employer that I ever started, I puked in the parking lot on the very first day on my way into the office because I was just so nervous because I knew that there were many things that I was good at and a lot that I had to offer, but that there were very practical things that need to be done in an architecture firm that I'm just not good at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm not good at sitting at a computer all day silently, just, just cl- right. clicking away and drafting on things. And so recognizing that and accepting that, you know, that took some time to come to grips with. And But that's huge as far as self-awareness. Way. I mean, wow, lots of people don't. You know, I, I just felt like, luckily and unluckily, that happened at the same time as the recession. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be unemployed or self-employed. So I guess we're going to be self-employed, self-employed now. Right. We're going to do this. Were you in the Charleston area during I that was, time? I was, yeah. I always knew I wanted to be in Charleston. And so when I was done with grad school, I, um, I, I was, we were still working through health stuff. And so being near MUSC was... Mm-hmm beneficial and so coming down here was really um really a high priority for Mm -hmm. me so so how many firms or places did you work at before you decided it was time to do your thing well when I got out of grad school I worked in I worked in a high-end residential firm and really fell in love with that type of work okay so when you're in architecture you can do a couple different tracks I mean you can do residential design meaning everyone's beautiful homes you can do commercial design, so that's more like, um, you know, a Target shopping center or, you know, a mini, cha- mall. A mini mall or chain <laughs> restaurants. You can do civic design, which is more like large um, large conference spaces or uh, ecclesiastical churches. There are a lot of school-focused school, uh, firms. And so what I realized through working my way through a couple of different firms was that I really enjoyed the client relationship you develop in residential design. So okay. I loved getting to the bottom of what was really important for um, for the people who were going to be living in the space and having a really close working relationship with helping them think through all the potentials of their project. And nice. so I knew that residential design was for me. Yeah. So that's gotcha. how... But most, mostly I just failed my way from um, one firm okay. and one role hey, into another. And, you know, that was but embarrassing you did some at the time. Stuff, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. residential, you got to do some. Got to do some really beautiful nice, stuff. Yeah. High end residential work is really, I find it really exciting because mm-hmm. you get to use really beautiful materials and celebrate the most gorgeous um, sites um, and views and. Uh, I loved everything about being able to bring those those projects to life for sure. Nice. Yeah, that felt right to me. And mm-hmm. so I love that aspect of it. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
But failure always leads to great things. Yeah, I was just like, oh, Uh, once I got used to uh, not being good at things, it became a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing I would definitely recommend, you know, my, my friends have kids now and I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad they're excelling at all these things, but how are you helping them fail? Because <laughs> they'll be so much better off if, if you know, the expectation isn't that they're number one in everything right. all the time and that you're reminding them how great they are at, at doing things, but instead just being like, well, everyone isn't great at everything all the time. And okay. sometimes, you know, second place is a really good place to be in. You know I mean? Just, right. it's, you're great. I love you for who you are, not what you accomplish. Right. So I think that that, is very would have been very helpful for me to not be so rigid about performance right. all the time well and then if you fail too, ask yourself is this something worth like do you mm-hmm. care if you care that much then go work yeah, and, then and try, try and get better try if you don't better. then yeah. okay yeah right. exactly or learn that i don't like that Precisely. moving on <laughs> i don't like want to double down yeah. double down on what you're good at yeah yep. it's i'm true. not good at soccer i'll just stick to basketball double down <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Listen, Linda. Uh, <laughs> um, I love it. So it's 2008. 2008. You bought a house. I did buy a house. It's a recession. It is a recession. You <laughs> possibly have other business endeavors that are mm-hmm. not completely architectural related. Oh, yes. That's true. <laughs> That's wow. true. Would you like to discuss yes. any of your oh my God. business I'm sorry. Endeavors? I'm so excited about this. When Amanda told me about this, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to hear about this. <laughs> well, first I would like, uh, I would like to request a favor of your viewers slash listeners. My mother does not know this. <laughs> And I would like to keep it that way. So please yeah. do not alert Emily's mom. That's right. Do just, not let's alert just... her mother. And I blame Carmen Hemley for this. It's but Carmen's. That's okay. It's Carmen's fault. But yes. uh, my mother is like a genuine saint. Like, Aww. should she ever in the future pass away, which I hope never happens, her body will not deteriorate. Like, she will be able to be to canonized. Canonize. That is how <laughs> wonderful this woman is. So in 2008, I was the last woman standing at uh, a high-end residential firm where I really learned a lot and had a lot of incredible projects with um, bosses that I respected a lot professionally. Um, And, you know, it was was a victim of the recession, like virtually every other architecture firm. And so when they split and went their separate ways and there was no, you know, we closed out our remaining projects, I had been so, so lucky as to purchase a home a few months before now, a lot of my friends wanted husbands. I wanted a house. Like, this was super important yeah. to me. Like, nothing wrong with a husband. Right. One sounds great. <laughs> Send one my way. But <laughs> I, I just knew that I didn't want to wait any longer to buy a house. Because to me, that stability was really what I longed for. And it didn't make sense to me to continue paying rent. Mm-mm. So I really wasn't able to afford absolutely everything at the time, you know, architecture was at when you're, when you're not a principal in a firm, you're just kind of like not, not super well paid. So I purchased my house through the low income homeownership initiative in Charleston, which at the time you could make something like $56,000 up to like $56,000 and qualify and so it was a low down payment and low interest rate the the catch is that you're only able to sell your home in the future back to the program so your ability to profit on your home as an investment is capped 
But to mm. me, that was fine because it meant that I could own a home downtown in an area that I loved and at a reasonable mortgage that I could afford. And then the idea was that I was going to put my extra money towards purchasing a property on the open market to serve as an yeah. investment. Now, don't ask me exactly how that all worked out because there is never any extra money and I don't have an open market <laughs> investment pro- property. <laughs> but I was only two or three months into my mortgage when the bottom fell out of the economy and I was, you know, up left unemployed or self-employed. <laughs> And so I did some creative things to keep my house. Um, number one, I was slicing cake and pouring coffee at Boulevard Diner. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yep. People were still eating cake and drinking coffee. Yep. Um, I was a fake patient at NUSC. <laughs> so oh, clinical studies. Clinical wow. studies. Okay. I was doing that. Um and training little tiny precious baby doctors and how to, you know, give an exam. Um, so I did some of that, which my past history in community theater as a child came in very But simultaneously, because of the, my, the age that I was when this happened, not only was I horrifically broke and terribly, uh, terribly terrified about how I was going to pay like my regular everyday living costs, but virtually every girlfriend that I had decided that they needed to be married that year. <laughs> and so I was also, I had also committed to being a bridesmaid in three weddings, oh, which yeah. meant one of them was in Mexico. One of them had a bachelorette trip to Las Vegas. So it was just like... Thanks, friends. Brutal. It was horrific. Like, three bridesmaids' dresses, all of the makeup, all of the hair. Like, I had no idea how I was going to pay for all that. But the silver lining was that I went to a lot of really bad bachelorette parties. Mm -hmm. And at one, we were all expected to pitch in $20 for a male stripper. And I had to sell my plasma to get that $20. Wow. And so I sold my plasma at CSL Plasma, and you can pull your cash out of the mm-hmm. ATM. And I went straight to the bachelorette party with that bandage on my arm and handed over my 20. I kept another 20 for gas and groceries. But <laughs> this dude, I started doing the math. First of all, this guy came in, and he was not interested in women, and he made that evident. <laughs> but he was... Well. Greased up, he was sh- his whole body was shaved from head to toe, and he was greased up with uh, glitter body oil all over. Love, and he was in a speedo. Yeah, ew. I know. Ew. Ew. I, the stories. Good. I'm like, the I'm not stories. Not everything. Not, like, yes. not Amanda with glitter lotion. <laughs> yes. Not, not my no. Style. no yeah. There was Mandy a spray with an I'm not loving yeah. this. It was the whole scene. And so uh-huh. he just like, you know, he brought in his boom box and there were a bunch of like, there was like Wait, this we're in disco 2000 line yeah, and they everything. Have, they bring in their music. Yeah, they have to. I mean, you got to know. They, they got to dance or something. got to perform. We did slow. Especially if he's we not did interested. We did boom boxes. Especially yeah. if he's not interested in women. He, he needs not, something. He was not, which is cool. But we were, you know, there were like 30 of us there. So <gasps> I did the quick math on it. Everybody put in 20. He made 600 bucks. 
<clears throat> for a very extended and unwanted performance <laughs> where he yeah. traumatized my one of my girlfriends who was cowering in the corner <laughs> by physically dragging her out of the corner and basically assaulting her by <laughs> grinding all over her and then he left like glitter on every surface <laughs> we couldn't get rid of him like he ate all our snacks and wouldn't leave and so you know i thought like myself gremlin <laughs> The, you know, the wedding business isn't going anywhere. Right. This seems pretty recession-proof. Hold, please. I believe that I could do this better. Awesome. Um, and so, Stripsters was born. Yes! <laughs> so, I decided that, you know, this was not what women wanted, A, and that it could be done in a better, more female-friendly way, B, and so I had the idea of doing little cute non-threatening indie hipster male strippers um and our tagline was normal dudes nearly nude oh so they only stripped down to like their little american apparel briefs right. and they just danced Not around and were cute and funny no there's no regular there's no glitter no glitter there's no Spray oil tans. on all of your furniture <laughs> they're just normal guys that are cute and smart and funny right. And um, it'd be like, yes. you know, your big sister's friend that you had a crush on growing up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was the nice. idea. And um, the rules were you can't touch the ladies, can't climb up on their furniture, <laughs> please don't damage anything, you know, that Don't whole, eat all their food. Don't eat all their food. <laughs> so I handled all the communication and the booking. So mm -hmm. there was someone responsible and responsive to um to the women who were booking where'd you find the men what yeah what was the interview oh, process like where'd you well, find these I, men you know, at the time uh, at the time i Isla Palms, um, <laughs> like what are we doing <laughs> so i had to earn a plaque at the tattooed moose uh for something so <laughs> yes. i just yes. would troll for talent nice. at my local okay. hipster hangout spots but at the time, I had a bunch of guy friends who were in bands and, you know, used to easy performing. Money. Easy beer money. They right. were into it. And it became kind of like a badge of honor to, you know, be a stripster. Okay. So, yeah. That's awesome. So we built a built a stable of, of eight, eight stripsters. They all had their own stripper names. Did they have like a theme? Like you had a cowboy one? <laughs> no, they all had like a, a river no, team. Mostly normal dudes. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean yeah. they couldn't have a theme. Well, some of them, we did get a lot you of know. requests for things like sexy Harry Potter. Yeah. Was See, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's that was, disgusting. Uh, Oh very disturbing God. i was like what are you you women are into this okay james bond well oh uh, well yeah. <laughs> all right you asked me i mean if we could get daniel craig, craig. Get daniel yeah. craig it's daniel all good. craig's my stripper yes oh my yes God. i would pay lots of 20s for that <laughs> could you please tell me some of the names because uh -uh. i loved them oh well we had um ice bone oh wow uh nathaniel action finger <laughs> Savage Grizzle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> these are awesome. O O Owen. Uh, oh my God. Andre Yes. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. The guys got to name themselves. Oh, so they're pretty creative. Yeah, yeah, pretty solid, solid dudes. But you know, you would be surprised uh, to learn that male strippers are not the most dependable of employees. Shocker. So ultimately. Jealous girlfriends and right. mm -hmm. demanding band tour schedules so, just kind well, of cut into our profit. And even just their confidence that they're okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, we all tend to think that men are more confident than women, but 
that's not 100% true was, in any way, shape, or form. I so. was shocked. So I initially started out, because I accompanied them to every uh, booking, because the whole MO was that the women who booked them were to feel, be able to feel totally confident and comfortable in the experience. And so I would always go with them. Right. Um, just to make sure nothing got out of hand. And the truth is, like, I started out the bookings with just, you know, one guy. Because, of mm-hmm. course, that's what you think. But I realized that they were so self-conscious and so uncomfortable that we tripled our profit by sending two guys at once. once. Because they played off of each other right. mm-hmm. and were able to build each other's confidence, confidence to have, like, a buddy in the mix. Right. So I thought that we would make, you know... 50% more or something because you got to pay them out. But the truth right. is we made almost three times as much um, in tips when yeah. we sent two. So, yeah. And the, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a big discussion we don't have in our, you know, male and female relationships. We tend to think that men are just confident because they, they play it better than mm-hmm. women do. And so, yeah, but I agree. They get down to their skivvies. They're not, they're like, Oh my God, oh, no. I don't have those muscles. I'm not ripped. I'm not. Oh no. Know. I mean, they were worried like, mm-hmm. but it became a really sweet thing because over the course of months of of developing, you know, their bookings, they would they would see that that each of them would be chosen for a different thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had a lot of requests for beards, we had a lot of requests <laughs> for tattoos. Right. We had specific requests for a beer belly. Like women wanted relatable real men, mil- yeah. real men. And so um I Dad did bots. see their confidence grow over the course of yeah. Which is neat. I mean, so wonderful. that, yeah, I mean, that's a great thing to provide for yeah. them, too. I'm really, I'm just a giver. Like, <laughs> what can I say? Oh, how, many, how many years did this go? A couple. You a know, couple. I, I was able to make my mortgage payments. That's awesome. Nice. And okay. I kept my house and um, up until. The dream. Yeah, Something. Living right. the dream, exactly. man. Ultimately, when architecture came back online, I was really concerned that my high-end residential, potential high-end residential clients would find out about it and think less of me. Um, for having done that. But, you know, as the years have passed, I can appreciate that, uh, you know, I've I've come to really believe in in the power of self-selection. And I just feel like the people who are right for me to work with will respond to who I and what I truly am. Right. And, you know, if I'm not right for you, then that's great. There's someone else. Yeah, there's plenty of other architects in town Mm -hmm. who didn't run a male stripper agency. and. Loser. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't sound fun. <laughs> they don't Loser. sound great. Right. I don't want to work Go with. for it. <laughs> it's usually going to be my first question now. <laughs> I'm literally not working with anyone else who hasn't run a male stripper. No? Okay, then we can. Yeah. If you can run a male stripper agency, so you, you can, can run do. a job site. I can tell you that. Exactly. Then you can figure out what I need in my head. Yes. Precisely. Exactly. We can communicate. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there was a lot of communication involved in that. Like, lots of communication, lots of diplomacy, lots right. of, you know, managing of egos and, mm-hmm. and uh, creative differences. Because right. the guys got to um, select their own music mm-hmm. and put together their own routines. And so, yeah, there's some of that. I mean, so there's a bit, you know, as much as you want to look at that it was strippers, so what? The, yeah. All the other skills that were, to, you know, honed and yeah. used. I told them to call themselves performance artists. There you go. So, you know. <laughs> Magical. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. Magic. Uh, so once, once architecture came back online, I had a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. to get back into that with the people that I had worked with in the past. And um, 
I ended up starting um, an interior side of a firm for a high-end residential architecture firm because that really became where my my um, point of different point of difference was in my career. Um, in order to become a registered architect, you have to work a minimum of three years of internship, um, and then you sit for a seven exam or a seven section exam, which often takes people like the course of a year. So few people complete their internship requirements in three years, and that process can drag out. And that's what happened for me because of the um, because of the time, the calendar time, where that portion of my career hit with the recession, with the recession. I just wasn't able to hit those hours and those numbers to um, be exposed to certain aspects of, of the of the job process that you're required to uh, complete and mm -hmm. then test on. And so it just, I just couldn't quite make it all work out to sit for all those exams. And then when it was, when I had amassed enough hours to do that, it was a recession and I didn't have enough money to pay for each of those sections, right. which at the time were like $400 a piece. Oh my Lord. And so I just, it just wasn't working out for me to get my um, licensure, which mm -hmm. means you're able to stamp drawings yourself, which is, um, you know, a matter of liability. And so I was still having to refer to myself as, you know, and, and still an associate architect, mean, mm -hmm. meaning you're on the path to licensure. But I had amassed enough experience to know what aspect of jobs I was good at. And working really closely with clients to um, sort of draw out their ideas about what their project would, um, how it would look and how it would live, and then making sure that the other architects on the team were actually hearing them and that what they were designing was going to live in the manner that the client wanted, that I realized was my strong, my, my sweet spot, my strong, <laughs> my strength. Right. Um, so I decided that in order to maximize that, I should start an interiors department in this high-end residential firm because that part of the job allowed for the most communication with the client, the most close, the closest relationship with the client. And it felt like a really kind of neglected area of the practice where there was a lot of opportunity for growth and profit. Right. So I did that for um, two or three years before the workload got so intense that it was really difficult for me to manage all my treatments mm -hmm. at the same time as, you know, being a, being a, a really consistent employee. Right. And so I realized that for me to have some hope of work-life balance in the future, self-employment was really the way to go. Uh -huh. And um, so I put my notice in and left our projects in very capable hands with the woman who's now my design partner, Michelle. <laughs> and um, so I launched my own um, sole proprietorship then. When was this? What? This would have been five years ago. So I think okay. it was, yeah, I think it was 2016. Yeah, it was 2016. Yeah. So I named that Ecox Creative and I was a sole practitioner for two or three years. Nice. I like the name. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now that's my umbrella company and I have a lot, a lot of, of businesses of Nice. That. That's a smart. Yep. Stripsters is still in play. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are, girl. <laughs> Love it. Uh, but, um, 
after two or three years, uh, Michelle was ready to make a change. And so um, she jumped ship and we formed Onyx Design Collaborative, okay. which is a high-end residential interiors firm. And I focus on interior architecture, which was space planning of the interior of a structure, which is often sort of secondary for a project architect from their priority is often looking at how or developing how the house looks from the exterior. So I'm coming in in a collaborative fashion and shaping the interior and saying things like, oh, well, I know that that's really beautifully symmetrical on the outside, <laughs> but we don't have enough room between these two windows for a king size bed. So what if we Okay, the practical part of the practical part of how you're going to live every day in the house. And I think it's important for you to love the way your house looks when you drive up. But, but I don't think it's reasonable to sacrifice um, what you're going to touch, experience, look at all day, every day inside the house yes. in order to prioritize the exterior when if we work together early, we can make all those relationships work right. out without sacrificing either. I.e. Gotcha. your laundry room's not big enough for your front load washer yeah. and dryer. Correct. Your front you load washer and dryer get rid of it. Open. Right. Correct. Yeah. Not Good cool. Luck with that. Nope. <laughs> not cool. Yep. So. Gotcha. I do that, and then, you know, I focus on the fixtures and finishes that are, like, attached to the inside of the house. So, tile, cabinets, plumbing, appliances. I love all that. This is so yeah. awesome. I love all that. Makes a huge difference. I bet. Yeah. yeah. And then my work wife, Michelle, is a <laughs> brilliant genius guru on all things, like, soft goods. So, she works on furniture layouts okay. and furniture oh, selections, fabrics, nice. rugs. And, of course, we work hand-in-hand, hand right. and we're really looking at each project with an eye of maximizing the design opportunities for the client, making sure everything they choose is going to serve them well over a lifetime and looking for overlooked possibilities. You know, mm-hmm. do you, where are you plugging your Christmas tree in? Right. That's Again, very good stuff. I'm yeah. trying to be under my bed last night finding the plug to get my yeah. phone. No, thank in. you. Because who thought it should be way. in the middle of that wall? Nope, because yeah, no. that's not where your plug right. needs to no. be. It should be no. behind your nightstand. And, you know, yep. it's... That's well, on a, the floor. That's the big thing now is on the floor. You can do a floor register, yeah. but, you know, the, the, the thing is, know. like, just because things are... Um, you know, just because that that receptacle is located according to code, right? Right. Well, what people don't understand is they're like, well, meets code. Code is the minimum. Right. Yeah. Code yeah. is intended the... to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. It right. is not intended to make it <laughs> yes. an amazing Seduce experience. Right. Yeah. Do you know how much an electrical receptacle is? It's like twelve dollars. Right. Like yeah. you, you, can you can have it. two. <laughs> you can have two. I would like That's six. Awesome. Yes, yeah. you can have two them on everywhere. every wall. I'd like them everywhere. No, all, all the places. places. All of them. All the places. I did have a floor receptacle in my old house. Mm-hmm. But I had to sense. I had to insist that they went in because I knew the layout of the room was such that you know it was mm-hmm. a grand big open yeah. you did space. Well, and that's, why. that's right. Yes. And you know we do think it's really important for you to think about how your furniture plan is going to lay out. And if you're building or if you're renovating, you do want to be able to plug in those floor lamps. But also, I want you to be sure that you're paying $37 for a floor receptacle that's actually going to be truly flush. Correct. Instead of $7 for a floor receptacle <laughs> that's going to give you a bump under every rug you ever put down Whatever for the rest you of your yeah. life. So I learned that lesson. Gotcha. It's not fun. <laughs> And these things are not difficult and they're not expensive. They just aren't common knowledge. Right. And so my passion project, aside from Onyx Design Collaborative, is a business that I started called Building Badasses. And nice. so 
we're supports we started out as a support circle for women in the building industry and i mean mm-hmm. every nook and cranny of the building industry from female architects to female boom operators you know land surveyors landscape architects um to share information about how to better do our jobs mm-hmm. um and how to serve our clients better uh in areas of the industry that we don't know as much about um but really it's blossomed into what i think is even more far-reaching and and really exciting which is now we're developing products and approaches to support female homeowners nice in order to help them develop confidence in becoming educated consumers of the construction Mm -hmm. industry um so really we're here to help women have uh, a really empowered process in doing their new construction build or the renovation um and you know there's a lot of information out there um varying degrees of success (laughs) on uh, platforms like pinterest or you know through hgtv on diy um you know turn this shipping pallet into a (laughs) headboard and there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome if that's your jam. But what we're really focused on is helping women actually interface with the professionals of the mm-hmm. industry. And, you know, when it's beyond patching a hole in your drywall and touching up the paint yourself and you really need someone who knows what they're doing and is licensed and bonded, you know, how you go about interacting with those people who are typically men is intimidating and it's difficult. You know, we... Right. Um, We've just never been in, in all of history, we've never been in a position to um, have this degree of uh, independence, both financial and um, intellectual, and we've never gotten to um, own property in the life-changing ways that we do now. And so we don't have the cultural uh, vocabulary, the cultural knowledge, the shared sensibility of how that's done. Right. And I think some women are lucky and, and grow up in situations where their moms and dads and grandparents can share that with them but most of us aren't no and so in the same way that i don't know how to change my own oil Mm -hmm. and when i take my car into the right into the mechanic he could look at me and tell me anything and i wouldn't have any i don't have any idea i don't have no idea how to assess whether or not that's true True, i just don't have the, the knowledge to do that um i think that it's very easy to be intimidated and be taken advantage of um, or even if you're not taking advantage of, maybe you just don't have the, the sense that you know enough to be able to evaluate whether or not right. what the contractor's telling you is correct. Right. So, That's what I was going to say. The confidence. Yeah, a lot of women probably just say, well, well, he's saying this is what I got to do, so I'm doing it. And yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, and not that he's doing anything. He's just, you know, came in yeah. and answered your questions. May See? or not be, he may or may not be doing anything wrong. Right. But the the point is you don't know you don't right, have right. the ability but to it, yeah. evaluate that well i i encountered because per- my ex-husband and i flipped a few houses mm. and we built our own house um you know we subbed things out but for the most part we did a lot of it so i learned a lot yeah mm-hmm. and then we got divorced and then <laughs> and you learned a lot there. I learned <laughs> a lot there um but then when i was when my husband now and i were building the house and we weren't mm-hmm. building it, it's just you know yeah i encountered a lot from even just the contractor not expecting me to know things, you know, and, and, and I would say things and question things that he was Mm -hmm. telling us and he would kind of look at me like, are you, are you crazy? Like, 
Number one, why are you questioning me? Number right. two, uh oh, you yeah, might really exactly. know what you're talking you about. You might know what you're talking about. Right. Hold, please. Right. And yeah, and that, and I think helping the people in the industry, males, I hate to say it, but helping them yeah. to understand that we do have women now that are learning these things and yeah. actually do understand. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. There are a lot of ways in which it, is beneficial for someone who's providing you a service to just kind of good naturedly shine you on, mm-hmm. right? right? You know, it helps right. them get out of there faster. They're like, yeah. oh, she's gonna be fine with whatever." Right? Do. Like, there's nothing, especially if. And sometimes not being, you are, and so, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some situations sometimes you, you are, are okay with so, that. Yeah. It's, but um, I think that the mentality that uh, that they're not going to be questioned, it, it really does. It it's it's a pervasive ill for the industry mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. working with transparency can only yep. benefit everyone, everyone involved. Yep. Yes. And so um, the expectation that, you know, I would give you enough knowledge to be dangerous mm-hmm. to your team, I think is really what I'm aiming to do because right. um, knowing that you, first of all, knowing that you can ask questions. Right. Right. Saying, yeah, it's okay to say, right. Hey, mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, Explain everyone's this. had the experience of going into the doctor and they're just, and you're like, oh, I'm not really sure what's wrong. And they're like, yeah, well, I'm not really sure either. Here, have this pill. You know, I mean, right. eh, that's right. not, right. It, being able to, being able to challenge um, people that you are paying mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, reminding yourself that you're the consumer right. and you're the one who writes the check. You are in charge. Right. And it's right. that effective communication. Like yeah. as opposed right. to challenge. I mean, yeah. it, you, can you effective. effectively communicate what it is you're after? Mm-hmm. And if you don't know the, mm-hmm. you, if you don't know, then you have to go educate yourself and help yeah. yourself so that you can go in yeah. and, and it's okay to ask questions. And I think we, yeah. as a society have gotten away from it's okay to ask. We feel that that makes us look stupid. Right. Exactly. Where it's exactly the opposite. Yeah. It doesn't make you look stupid. It makes it look like you want to actually learn what's happening and right. going on. Precisely. And, you know, it's an industry where there are not a ton of standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors. You know, I mean, this is it's not neurosurgery. It's mm-hmm. a system. You know, mm-hmm. design is an art, but construction is a science. Like right. there, there are reasons that we do things that we do. And there are plenty of different right ways to do it. But there are a ton of wrong ways to do everything. (laughs) Right. And sometimes the right way is the way you, is just comes down to the way you want it done. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, if you're, if you are paying. Right. That there, either it should be done the way you want it to be done, or there should be a very clear explanation as to why that is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ethically the contractor can't do that for you. Or... It's a value judgment, and, you know, often we look at people and say, absolutely, we can do that. It's yep. going to be X amount of dollars. Is that worth it? Is that you? worth right. it? Yeah. So, yeah. Is that what you feel like paying? Yeah. Right. Would you like to do, would you like to proceed? <laughs> and that's really the only conversation that a lot of times needs to be had. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't have to be an emotional no. argument about how you, you know, you're committed to hair, you know, your hair dryer getting plugged in on the right because, you know, you were traumatized by an electric shock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. This is not emotional. Yeah, I'm just yeah. telling you where exactly. it better fits. You know, ultimately, the contractor doesn't need to know your why. Yeah. He just, he needs to know what. Yeah, and exactly. you just want, you need to tell him that at the mm-hmm. appropriate time with enough, uh, notif- enough notification in advance and then you just need to look and make sure it's done. And if it's not done, you ask him why it's not done. Right. And so, anyway, those are the learning the vocabulary and the the forms of communication that are going to mm-hmm. be effective for you. That's a language. Right. 
reading architect architectural drawings that's a language you can learn how to do that you can gain that skill it's not that hard mm -hmm. and you know i think there's nothing but power in it for you as a consumer to know how to do that and it's it's you know it's ultimately it's ultimately beneficial for the professionals who are on your team because unless they're you know on unless they're like a sociopath of some sort nobody enjoys a dissatisfied client right, right. Like everybody wants you to be well. happy right that doesn't bode well for you for their careers in the future for your yelp review <laughs> And it looks like you have seminars for building uh, badasses. Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask absolutely. how you impart this knowledge. Yeah. Well, we have over, I think I started building badasses like four years ago now. And so initially it was, you know, monthly get togethers at industry uh, locations around town for women who work in the industry. So you know, the, the ladies who are sales consultants and experts in tile were excited to see how it worked to specify hardwood because, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they have homeowners come in and ask them, you know, how this or that will interface with an mm -hmm. aspect of the industry that they don't know. And so the idea was really to help gain exposure for these women who are working in the industry to aspects of the industry that they're not as familiar with. And so we have a private Facebook group that has now 650 plus members of women who work in all different areas of the industry. And we wait, we support each other emotionally mm -hmm. first and foremost, but we also support each other technically by referring each other to resources that are, are of help. And now that we're expanding our reach to female homeowners, Really, I think that the most effective way to do that is by um, online courses. Mm -hmm. So we've developed a series of online courses that uh, tackle topics that are pretty common to women who are um, engaging with the construction industry. Like our first offering is called 60 Days to Construction Confidence. And so it's a two-month online course um, that starts September the 1st. Mm -hmm. um, and the the topics that are covered are really not about how to design your project but about how to plan and implement your process so it's really for people who are planning an upcoming renovation or a new build and they want to be sure that they understand a what their existing architectural drawings reflect b how to best communicate that with their team and see how to choose the best team for them. Mm -hmm. So it's really about uh, sort of demystifying the language around the construction contract, mm -hmm. who all the members of your team are and right. what their responsibilities are. You know, you don't want to go walk onto your job site and tell the head painter that you need a, a window moved. But you know, not everyone knows nice that it, these are these are a network of subs. They don't right. all like go back to the job trailer at the end of the day and have these in-depth conversations with each other. <laughs> debrief. You know? right. They don't They're debrief. All, yeah. They're all working on their own thing. So you want to be able to understand which team member to communicate what to right. and when. And the answer to that is, uh, you know, you want to primarily talk to your GC. Right. It's fine to have those discussions in person to explain mm -hmm. exactly what it is you're looking for. But if you didn't put it in writing, oh. it didn't happen. Yep. Yep. And that's just that. Sure, like, sure didn't. Sure didn't. That paper trail so, is important. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yep. Paper trail, CYA, all of mm -hmm. the above. Yeah. And the sooner you can start on that, the better. Because anything that can be, all the information that can be included in your initial drawings or, you know, if you're doing a smaller renovation, you might just have like 
a scope description, meaning mm-hmm. like a bullet point of like, hey, we want you to take the kitchen island out and patch the floor and put this farmhouse right. table back in or whatever. But if the entirety, and I do mean the entirety of every single thing you want done, isn't written down at the beginning before you get the pricing mm-hmm. and agree to the contract, you're in for a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. and maybe not. I mean, maybe you have an amazing contractor who's phenomenal at communication and has like the memory of a steel <laughs> trap, but doubtful. Right. Doubtful. Right. right. And so spare yourself the agony. Spend, you know, spend some time putting. Putting pen to paper on a, a right. great plan. And so... Change orders are expensive. Change yep. orders become expensive. <laughs> but, you know, truthfully, change orders get a bad rap. Like, what we want is for you to have the exact final result that you want. I think that you can avoid a lot of the drama of change orders if you structure your construction contract mm-hmm. uh, properly in the beginning so that those change orders, meaning... Um, you know, a direction to to the contractor to make something different than was original, to create something different or do an additional scope of work that wasn't originally included in the pricing documents. You can structure the construction contract in such a, ma- a manner that those change orders aren't punitive and you're not like being financially punished for changing your mind. Because part of what a contractor wants to do is get in and get out and get paid. Mm-hmm. And yep. so the longer you take and the more, change, more times right. you change your mind, yeah. the harder it is for him to be done. Mm-hmm. And he can't plan what comes next for him or her at some point right. in the future if we yeah. do our jobs right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there there is a financial cost to making those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to be sure that it's fair and we want to be sure that, you know, you can avoid as many of those as possible by planning properly in advance. I was going to say, I could see that what you're doing would help people to avoid that altogether. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. I hope so. You know, ultimately construction is a series of uh, problem solving things. The idea, you know, I can't promise you that you're going to have, I would never promise a client that they're going to have a stress-free, easy build. That's just not realistic. The truth is you're not going to get everything that you want because we are, unfortunately bound to the laws of physics <laughs> certain things won't stand up yeah right. there's not enough physical room in there to accommodate all this stuff but the thing that is not accommodated shouldn't be the door swing of your front load right. washer yes. dryer yes. so well it's, yeah. that's what's funny is in my first house i realized this during the framing process and i said that door can't be center of the laundry room mm-hmm. it's got to come over yeah we fix that but yeah. then you go back to just track housing mm-hmm Yep. It just goes in the way it goes in. And, yeah, you don't, exactly. and, then, yeah. and then here's me. That washer and dryer is not going to fit, honey. Oh, yes, it will. That washer and dryer is not going to fit, honey. Oh, yes. <laughs> nope. We moved all of them in. Yeah, exactly. Both of them in and then moved them right back out. No, you got to nope. have a compact ASCO now. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, so 60 Days of Construction Confidence is our first nice. online course. In order to kind of build up to that, we're doing, um, and get the word out, we're mm-hmm. doing a monthly in-person seminar for $199 on there's, I think it's like the last Saturday of each month nice. for August, September. We're probably going to add October cause there's been some demand. Good. Um, but for $249 or for your listeners, $199 <laughs> because I will give you the discount what? code. Oh yeah. Wow. Hammer it out. Nice. I love that. Yeah. So um, you get four hours with me, which I mean, that is a steal. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and we tackle all those big sort of like big picture planning, um, planning to 
for success. Um, and also I'll leave you with like a bunch of uh, templates and deliverables and a bunch nice. of checklists and PDFs okay. to help you kind of Funny. like make sure you got all your bases covered. So that'll be like a crash course to get your feet mm -hmm. wet if you've got an upcoming build. And then over the next few months, we're at, we're rolling out, in addition to 60 days of const to construction confidence, online we're rolling out like 60 days of dream design, which is about choosing all the fixtures and finishes of your house and understanding the difference in materials and like what can bite you in the ass mm -hmm. as far as uh, performance for your fixtures and finishes go. And then in the new year, we're going to do like 30 days to killer kitchens, 30 days to baller baths. So just oh, nice. like, you little know, things. little yeah. things to help you to meet women's needs where for their upcoming project, whatever the scope is. Um, so we really hope that that will help you get, give you enough, you know, in your tool belt to, right. uh, you know, be dangerous to your contractor. Well, that's awesome. So yeah. where can people go to sign up for that? So you want to go to buildingbadasses.com. And, you know, if you don't have an upcoming project, but you just want to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what we're up to, mm -hmm. remember that we're out there for what you need. Join us on the Facebook private group. So you can go, you can search Building Badasses on Facebook. We have like a page where we do some posts, whatever. That's uh -huh. not very exciting. But where the good stuff happens is the private group. So mm -hmm. if you work in the industry, you want to go to the Industry Insiders Facebook group. Mm -hmm. If you are a female homeowner and you want to work with women in the industry, you want to go to the Construction Confidence That's Facebook group. Okay. And then you can nice. find us on Instagram too okay. at building underscore badasses. You sure can. And you can listen to our podcast. Nice. I know. What's your, yeah. what's your, is your podcast building, building badasses? Bad awesome. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Perfect. Yeah. You can meet my uh, baller work wife, Michelle, nice. on the podcast. She's better than me at everything. <laughs> Doubt it. So, yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I have one more question for you. What you what what's your advice? What's the best piece of advice you can give to ladies right now? Buy, proper, buy property. Yeah. <laughs> yes, buy, buy, become a homeowner because, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not this particular exact moment in time is an ideal time to become a homeowner, there's nothing more transformative than the power of compound interest. And so, <laughs> um, you know, the money that you put into a home, the other thing that I would say, the caveat of that is a house isn't a piggy bank. Mm -hmm. You know, thanks to um, a lot of luck, we, over our lifetimes, we tend to think that um, a house is um, an unrelenting, like, positive investment and mm -hmm. that every penny you put into a home is a penny you ought to get back right. out. But don't underestimate the power of your own pleasure to a degree. Um, I think that it's important to realize that there are psychological and emotional payoffs about making some changes to your home that would make you feel more comfortable, that would make your life more, run more smoothly, that you would just fundamentally enjoy. You're worth that. Mm -hmm. it, your house isn't a piggy bank for you to put money into to get every penny back out. It's nice when that can happen, and I don't recommend that you over-improve. But I don't think that you should be concerned to about every single thing you ever do to the point of resale. You know, paint your powder in purple if you want to. What, right. does, it, what does it matter? That's, that's a, a can of paint. That's a coat of paint. Yeah, yeah come on. Hard. Like, right. Don't be so paralyzed that you can't do things that you truly enjoy because what you enjoy is important. Your home is is more than an investment, it, but it is a great investment, and you should make that. 
Awesome. All right, one more. We all have we all choose yes. words for the year. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yes. So mine was action. Mm-hmm. Mine Aaron's. was fearless. Motivated. So what would Ooh. what would be your word for the year? The dogs have just joined us, exactly. people. Exactly. Sorry. Um, my word for the year is bigger. Nice. Bigger. Let's dream bigger. Let's work. Let's work bigger. Let's be. Let's be more visible. Let's be louder. Let's not be scared because uh, it doesn't serve us. You know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. go bigger. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. Love yeah, it. I like it. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for thank giving you. us your morning. We Thanks love so it. Thanks so much for um, my delicious beverage buffet, <laughs> all this cool hang time. I thoroughly enjoyed now it. Now we're going to stop looking at all these exactly. now we're bagels stop we've looking been at bagels looking at and eat them. Building yes. badasses. Building badasses. Check things out. Come hang out with us. Right. Yeah. We'd love to have you and want to support you. And mostly, I mean, we drink a lot. So let's have some beer. I think we need to host a meeting. Meeting at the brewery. brewery. That'd be be phenomenal. I really think we should. Excellent. All right. I I like it. (laughs) I like it. All right. Well, everybody have a fantastic uh, rest of your day. It's not Sunday anymore. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of your day.